there's a shift that self-care isn't a weakness. And self-care shows up in business and in life. It's not just the sofa, it's the, can you get a coach, a trainer? To me, those are all acts of self-care because they're all things that are gonna help you. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I'm your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. If you aren't owning your self-worth or self-care, you are not only doing yourself a disservice, but those that you lead a disservice. My guest on this episode is Laura Mazzullo, the founder and owner of Eastside Staffing, which is a boutique recruitment firm specializing in the placement of experienced HR professionals. We talked on a whole range of topics, and while Laura specializes in serving the HR and people ops community, it absolutely is applicable to all people first leaders. So let's dive right into it. It is a good early morning from me as I introduce this episode's guest. She is the founder and owner of Eastside Staffing, has some notable achievements such as being the top 1% for profile views on LinkedIn, named as one of the top 10 recruiters you should know, has a LinkedIn following of nearly 100,000 people, loves herself a good cappuccino, and as Michelle Chase shared with me, is smart, kind, generous with her time, great with advice and warm, and just a lovely person. Lauren Mazzullo, welcome to the Leading People First podcast. Good morning. What a kind intro, Chris. I love that I hadn't heard that before. It made me smile to hear it now. And yeah, I love that you're in California this morning and I'm in snowy New York. Today we are expecting 18 inches of snow. So I will send some winter coziness your way. Oh, it's okay. I Well, actually, you know, I would love that because I, me and my wife, we very much miss snowboarding. So I wish we could be in the snow. Tahoe got a huge snowstorm last week and I'm definitely getting FOMO from seeing pictures on the internet of people up there. So <laughs> yeah, I know it's nice to embrace the seasons as they come. Absolutely. Well, 2021 is up off and running. So how are you doing? And what was the last thing you did for self-care? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm doing well. I feel like I'm finally acknowledging that this pandemic is difficult. It took a while for me to really embrace like oh, right, this is a collective trauma. This is really challenging. You know, I can be such an optimist and sometimes that is hard because you sort of forget to acknowledge how painful something is. So I feel like I'm finally there, which in a weird way is good. Um, I have been really enjoying my sofa and TV. I've been watching old movies on TCM, which is really a nice act of self-care. Like these 1950s movies, they just take me to another time and place. They remind me of when the world was open and there were parties and balls and bars and restaurants. And uh, I find after I watch one, I'm like super relaxed. So it's a surprise that I I didn't even know I really loved old movies, but it's been a peaceful thing to do. That's awesome. What's your favorite movie that you've watched, 1950s movie? Two nights ago, I watched Death of a Scoundrel, Mm. like this actually very apropos for right now, because it was about the stock market and this con guy who kind of was greedy. And of course, they always have a moral lesson, like it was about the downside of greed and how you need more in your life than just money. So I really enjoyed it. It happened to be a funny timing with our current world events. Yes, especially with what happened last week with the stock market. Very, very interesting. Um, And that actually is a great segue because when it comes to leading people first, money is should be the last thing on our minds, 
again, it, it comes to the people that we lead. So I'd love to hear it from you first or directly. What does it mean to you to lead people first? Yeah, I think it starts with genuine love for people, meaning love for yourself and love for others. So I think you, you don't have to like everyone and you certainly don't have to be friends with everyone because I do believe in boundaries and obviously being treated with kindness and respect. But I think you genuinely have to love the human race and be curious about people and want to learn about people. I, you know, if you're going to be in HR or in people ops or leadership roles, I think it has to start with a curiosity about each other and active listening. That's something I'm always working on, like really trying to listen to better understand each other. I think that's what it means to be people first. Yeah. Definitely speaks to your values for Eastside staffing, right? Kindness, curiosity, and humility. And when, when it comes to listening, it really takes empathy to listen and understand. And I know that you have your empathy hat. So how did you come up oh, with your right empathy? Here. <laughs> how did you come up with your empathy hat? And yeah. how has that helped you learn to lead people first? Yeah, this was actually a gift, which was so nice. Last year during the pandemic, there were a lot of HR pros out of work, as you can relate to, I'm sure. And I was doing some, I'm still doing, but I started teaching a course called How to Transform Your HR Job Search. And in one of the sections of the course, I talk about the power of having empathy for recruiters and hiring managers. So we're often talking about candidate experience, but I wanted to train candidates on also being conscious of how they're listening to recruiters and hiring managers. And I said, you've got to put on your empathy hat and picture it from their point of view. And so one of the students asked for my address and she actually made me, because at the time I was just, I literally on a whiteboard, I think drew a hat and put it on my head. <laughs> um, and so now I promised her, I will wear this on every coaching session, both for recruiters and for candidates, which I've been doing. Cause of course, empathy is necessary on all ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And it, it, once you have empathy for the other party, you're able to understand things from their point of view. And that's really helpful. Yeah. You know, it takes the judgment out. It's more about like, oh, that explains it. That might help me understand the behavior. Yeah. And we were, you know, that leads to our next question really well, because we were talking about this right before uh, hit record was that we, you know, we need to be a bit more self-aware, especially for those of us who are in the HR people ops space. And there are some certain practices like the candidate experience that could use a little bit more people first mindset. So can you talk a bit more about self-awareness and this mindset coming from scarcity that we need to have and shift as HR and people ops leaders? Yeah. So before we hit record, Chris and I were having these aha moments and he's like, wait, we have to hit record. So I'm going to try and repeat exactly what we were talking <laughs> about. Um, I was saying, I think we've been talking in really broad terms about candidate experience, but actually if we can just simplify it, you have to be self-aware to hire well. I mean, literally it's because it, it will trigger all your stuff. So an example is compensation. So we will talk about money for a second in this context. So let's say I'm a hiring manager and I'm really resentful about my own compensation. I feel underpaid. I feel undervalued. I grapple with that. And then I have this amazing candidate in front of me and they're asking for what I'm earning or, or just under what I'm earning or maybe more than what I'm earning. If I'm not confident enough 
and I don't know my value well enough, I might potentially shame that person for asking that. So I might say something like, whoa, that's a lot. We can't afford that. Absolutely not. Now, when I say this, people tend to cringe and say, I would never do that. But I hear this every day, Chris. It happens every day that someone projects their own stuff onto a candidate. And what I want to say, first of all, is that's normal, right? That's human behavior. If you're grappling with something, if there's inner turmoil, it's going to show up at work. And so this is why the most important thing you can do as an HR leader, as a hiring manager, as a head of recruiting, is to do your own work so that you're not taking it out on candidates. You're not taking it out on the business. Um, it's human nature. So I think we, you know, I've said it many times. I think everyone in people needs a therapist, a coach, a trainer, needs to be reading self-help books, need to be, needs to be listening to podcasts like this. Needs, we all need to be developing or we're going to start creating bad experiences by accident because they're almost happening, you know, subconsciously. Yeah, we yeah, we could have a great candidate experience, we could have a great, you know, performance review process. Uh, but if we, as leaders, we are dealing with our own issues, it can still create a negative experience. Because it's, it's about that one to one relationship, not necessarily the process. So it's very, yeah. well, it important. shows up in the process. So even if the process is good, we are human beings in that process, right? This is where we're not robots and we're not ATSs. So talking about people first, I mean, this is a great example of, yeah, the perfectly ironed out data focused process. If the person going through that journey is struggling, it's harder. And so what I like to work on with my clients is like, we don't have to, you don't have to be a perfectly ironed out angelic creature, but we need to at least be able to address our own stuff as it shows up, not only our own biases, but genuinely our own stuff, whatever it is. Like, I love when my clients can say to me like, oh, their salary expectation is bringing up stuff for me. Cause when I was that age, I didn't ask for that. Okay, cool. We can work through that. We can talk through that. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, different times people are making more now just, but if we don't address it and then it just, we just let it fester, it can kind of pop its head up in really ugly ways throughout the journey. Totally. And I, that I'm curious then because you had, you know, a few years ago, you wrote a post about how business wanted, you know, a senior HR professional, but only wanted to provide a budget for a junior position. And then last year you did a podcast interview with Kristen Harcourt on inspirational leadership and said the same thing. It, like, oh, I thought that was interesting. It was a four year gap between the two comments, but they were the exact same comment. And now we're bringing it up again today. So do you think it's us as HR leaders not comfortable with having those conversations that we should be having with the business to you know, show our value and, sh and really get compensated for our value? Or do you think it's the business that doesn't necessarily see the value in HR and people ops? Mm. You, does, yeah, you know, I totally right? get your question. Yeah. It's the chicken or egg scenario, right? Yeah. Like, um, I'd love for you to watch, actually, I did a speaking engagement for Bamboo HR last year and they just re-released it. And it's, I did it on HR self-worth and I talk about this. So I'd love to, to have you watch it. What I talk about there and what, I, what I'm always talking about because I'm so passionate about it is, yeah, there's always the external, right? People who don't value HR, the CFO who doesn't get it, who doesn't give the budget. What concerns me more, because we can work on that and they're getting there. 
What concerns me more is the inner disbelief of self-worth. So like, it's not just the CFO saying, we don't have a budget for you. It's the head of HR saying like, am I worthy of that budget? Is it too much? Is it, aren't I asking for enough? You know, we're not that, I mean, again, it's hard for people to hear this, but I, but I hear it, right? I hear the, I mean, we're not as important as legal. We're not as important as finance. So of course we have a less, you know, less budget. Also, you know, sales is revenue generating. We're not bringing in money. You still hear this dialogue. And so Mm -hmm. again, I think, yeah, you have, we have to begin with our own self-worth especially as we hire more and we, cause exactly what you're saying about the comp that the reason that keeps coming up year after year is because the head of HR who's saying, I only want to pay 60 K for that job, but we all know that job is worth a hundred. The reason they're paying 60 is usually based in their own stuff about money. Yeah. Probably the CFO has 40 K more. It's like, they don't want to have to pay it because maybe they didn't make it at that level. They feel like it'll be weird on the team. Other people on the team aren't making enough. There's so many inequities that they're not dealing with, but it's usually not budget that's the issue. We blame it on budget. We blame it on the CFO. But the power is to look within and say, wait a minute, is my team being compensated fairly? Am I being compensated fairly? Are we compensated fairly as a people function that's progressive and forward thinking? And how can I evolve this? And then maybe you go to the CFO suddenly with more power and confidence to say, okay, we have a big overhaul to do here. I've done my research and we are 200K under budget as a team. Yeah, That's more powerful than walking in there saying, I don't know if it's possible, but I think we need it, right? Yeah. When you look at inequity, I think that that's absolutely something that um, needs to be addressed from that standpoint. I'm also curious what your thoughts are. This is just popping in my head just now. Um, But because historically, right, HR people ops is led and run by mostly women. Do you think that there is also um, because of the systemic injustice that we've had against women? Do you think that that's also been ingrained in that group to feel undervalued and feel like they can't ask for more because that's something that we see often in women as a whole. So do you think that's even more ingrained as an you know, HR function? Yes. And first of all, thank you for acknowledging that. I think it's something we should be talking about more, but definitely. I know it as a woman business owner, and I've been very grateful to have men male clients who over the years have said to me, Laura, you're undercharging, please resend me a new contract because based on your male peers, you should be charging more. I wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for men empowering me to say, stop undervaluing yourself. And so now when I send my contract out and someone tries to shame me for it, just like I was talking about with salary where they're like, whoa, that seems expensive. Come on, you're a sweetheart. We know you can do something. I, and again, this is something I hear weekly, so I'm not exaggerating, right? You're kind, you're nice. We assume someone said to me recently, I assume I can chew you down, you know, and I've gotten to a point where I can say, unfortunately, no, I'm not interested in competing on price. My value is very strong. And, um, my friend, Liz Bronson, another female entrepreneur that I know on Twitter told me once just to say my track record speaks for itself. And now I say that if I have to, I'm not interested in over defending it. And I think that's the same for HR pros 
women leaders in HR, when they feel like they have to go in there and explain their value and sell their worth, I tell them, I don't actually think you have to. I, I don't, I, what I notice that men do really well is they just say what they need and want. They don't actually go in there and like create a whole presentation on why they're worthy. I think maybe we're actually overcompensating for our insecurities. So yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we have to really focus on because I think that that's a big, big topic I've been seeing pop up more and more in the HR spaces. Yeah. That inequity that the, the systems and ceilings that we have in place, the barriers that are in place for women, for people of color. And so as we look at things like DEI, right? Like, I mean, that is a huge focus. And that's something also that we, you know, we have to work on as an HR people ops group is we do have to think about, again, being more of an advocate and speaking up and diversifying as well. So yeah, it's a, maybe it's a not over explaining. I'll tell you, if I ask a CEO directly about budget, you know, and if I say like, hey, your HR team's saying they can't use an external recruiting firm, they can't hire a coach, they can't hire for their team, they'll be like, really? I didn't even know they needed that. Like, I actually think that we're afraid in HR to ask for what we need in a confident way. And so it's easier to blame the outside. It's easier to blame that CEO or that CFO. Yeah. Oh, they wouldn't give it to me even if I asked them. Oh, they said we have no budget. Oh, they said we're being budget conscious. And, you know, that comes from, as women, we are people pleasers. We are very kind. We are generous in spirit. We're always aware of other people's behaviors and fears. But actually, sometimes we have to just not think about it and say, yeah. yes, and this is what I need. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right, especially when it comes to DEI. It's like all of this stuff takes money and it's an investment. And so I think we have to stop thinking of it as a cost. It's like, are you investing in your people? And if you are, this is what you have to invest in. This is how it works. Yeah, I can't agree more with you looking at that from an investment standpoint, because I'm very much of the mindset that if you do invest in those areas, you're going to get a much greater return. And just because you don't see it tomorrow or in a month or in three months, it is a long term play. And that's something I've absolutely loved about your work, your post, your uh, what you share and what you teach is this reminder and focus on the hardships that HR and people ops professionals have been having to go through, especially with this pandemic, right? Not only are these departments and these professionals dealing with their own individual pressures and stresses around the pandemic, but they're feeling this increased business pressure because they do know some of the inside things that other people may not know. And they're, you know, they're forced to make cuts. They're even maybe getting cut themselves. So how do we instill within the HR industry that self-care and self-development is just as critical for themselves and not just their clients? Yeah, I love that. I know. I feel like I've been really talking about this a lot. Um, I think, you know, I started a YouTube channel. I've been doing every two weeks a talk with Kelly Swingler, who's an expert in the UK about burnout. You might want to talk to her for a podcast too. Um but she, I mean, she's been a huge proponent of mental health in, in the HR space for years. You know, the thing is, again, to me, it comes back to deserving, right? It's like, if you're in HR, you deserve a day off. You deserve a PTO. You deserve a day on the couch. You deserve 
to cry and take a bath and see a therapist and read a self-help book and, and nurture yourself. I think there's this almost shame because I hear it a lot in terms of apologizing. Like I'll hear HR pros be like, oh, I cried yesterday. Oh, I'm so sorry that I did that. Or I can't believe I did that. Or I, I really needed to take a day off and I shouldn't have, I had so much work to do. And it's like, we have to change the mindset that that's selfish or somehow a negative. So I was telling you right before we got live too, that a beautiful thing I'm noticing for people pros since the pandemic is an investment in their own development. So I, I mean, even to call an external recruiter, right? So I place HR pros. So my hiring managers are HR, right? Normally pre-pandemic, when they would call me for a search, it would start with shame. Like we've been working on this search for two months. We're struggling. I don't know why. I don't know what's wrong with us. We're not doing something right. I guess we had to call you. I'm disappointed we have to call you. I wish we didn't have to pay a recruiter, but we do. It's kind of coming from this place again of, of fear, of scarcity, of shame, of negativity. What I'm hearing now more, which is such a beautiful shift is, hey, Laura, we need some help. We wanna get better. We wanna improve. We wanna learn. Can you guide us? Can you shepherd us? Can you lead us? Can you teach us? I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been waiting for this moment. It's like, finally, there's a shift that self-care isn't um, a weakness, right? And self-care shows up in business and in life. It's not just the sofa. It's the, can you get a coach, a trainer, a recruiter, a, a, a new applicant tracking system, a new HR technology? To me, those are all acts of self-care because they're all things that are going to help you. Yeah. Um, so I hope it's a beautiful shift that continues. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really hope that that does carry forward when we do come out of this pandemic because there's so, again, there's so much stress and pressure that we we put on ourselves. And again, we're moving away from that mindset of like, well, check your emotion at the door, right? Like old, yeah. that really old, outdated, male-driven ego, like I don't want to have to deal with emotion, so don't bring it into the workplace. It's like, no, yeah. well, like- They we show have, up. Yep, they show up, it comes up and we have to- we have to acknowledge it and we have to allow people to be human. Like it's not like we can all of a sudden stop being human the moment we walk in the door in the pandemic days. Yeah. And it shows up in the behavior, whether or not you realize it or not. That's what we were saying earlier about the candidate experience. You might think you're doing everything perfectly, but if you have some unresolved stuff in your brain, which we all do, it's going to show up unless you're willing to address it and acknowledge it. No one wants, I don't think anybody wants HR to be perfect anymore. I think that notion is very antiquated, that they have to have all the answers and be these perfect creatures. It's not, like you said, it's not real. Yeah. Nobody wants, and that's why people have always thought for years that HR pros are disingenuous and not authentic. It's because they weren't showing up as human beings. Yeah. They were showing, yeah, up incredibly just almost robotic, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to share uh, some praise from Sarah Noel Wilson, who uh, talks about how you are fighting for HR pros. And this is what she had to say. And she said, what to say about Laura so much. She fiercely advocates for people to own their worth. She courageously challenges the status quo in redefining what success means for herself. She has helped many others do the same. She is a relentless cheerleader we all need in our lives. She pushes you, supports you, and helps you see what is possible when you don't. Simply put, she is a force to be reckoned with and a friend I am grateful to have. 
So I just wanted to share that with you, that that is something that you, you know, people recognize that you are fighting for them. You are really pushing um, others to, you know, really fight for themselves and take care of themselves. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's such a nice surprise. Yeah. I, Sarah Mel Wilson is a very special person who's equally as brave and doing a lot of work around neuroscience and how leadership also needs to be focused on inner work and curiosity. So we share a lot in common, but that's so kind of her to say. And I, you know, I think the reason I can say so many candid things is because it is from love, right? And that's what we were saying at the start of the call. Like, I'm not going to give you a BS version of what HR needs to do to fix themselves and to fix the whole philosophy and mindset. It comes, it comes from a little tough love. And maybe that's the Italian New Yorker in me. That's like, we got to just call it out. We have to just say what it is. Like, these are some real things we got to work on. And it's out of love because if we can fix some of this stuff, we're going to see it evolve so much faster. Yeah. Yeah. So I think any client I work with, they know that I'm not going to just yes them to death. There's a lot of consultation that I provide and sometimes it's hard to hear And, but that's the beauty of recruiting right now. If we really want to bring in DEI efforts and we really want to change the world of work, we have to sometimes call out behavior that's toxic and we have to address it with ourselves. And that's hard, but it's, yeah, it's a beautiful thing when I can say to a client, like, all right, let's hold up the mirror. I actually have one on my desk that I'm always happy to, you know, are we willing to look within? (laughs) Are we willing to like, are we willing to say what's my role in this process, right? Let's stop blaming the candidates, blaming the heads of business, blaming the CEO. Let's look at ourselves for a moment. And usually we find some epiphanies that we realize both of us, okay, let's pivot. Here's a bias that's showing up. So yeah, I can't stress it enough. The power of self-reflection right now in people, in the people function is really what's going to bring us forward. Yeah. That, that self-reflection is very important, um, especially when we look at organizations as a whole. I think that there's not enough self-reflection, like true self-reflection, especially when it comes to employees as people. And you recently said that the biggest mindset shift organizations and hiring ma- managers need to go from is what we want to what do they want, right? Yeah. And you know that's something that's part of what I've been calling, right, this people-first mindset about focusing on the individuals as people and as a whole add on the importance of again listening to your employees and customizing their experience to maximize their engagement and productivity so how do we get organizations that view their employees and employee groups as unique as they do with their clients yeah i love when i talk about that because so where that shows up in recruiting is you'll be in an intake meeting which is that first meeting we have as recruiters with the hiring manager And they always have a litany of things they want us to find, right? Here's the 75 things we want. And I listen to it and I take a lot of notes and then I say, okay, so what do they want? What does the candidate we're looking for want? And lo and behold, we end up taking off half those things because they're not aligned, right? If we really think about, again, put the empathy hat on, what does the candidate want? Mm -hmm. It's very different. Why would the candidate want to come here over your top three competitors, assuming the salary and the job? are exactly the same, right? And it forces them to think about, oh, what makes us unique? So again, to the self-reflection, I think in order to be generous by giving our employees and leaders what they want and need, we have to start to, first of all, make sure we're getting what we want and need. It's almost like, you know, it's, look, I was about to say this, but I'm going to say it. It's when we were back at personnel in the 80s and 90s, 
we would talk about HR as like the mother figure. And of course that was shunned now. We never say that anymore. And oh my gosh, how old school, but I will say it. I do think there's almost a parental vibe when you're in HR. And I mean it as a compliment that you are a figure, a figurehead in the organization that people look up to. Mm-hmm. And that you do set a tone just the way a father or mother would in a family or a grandparent would in a family, right? You're, you're someone people look to, to set the example. So you have to make sure your needs are being met. You have to make sure your wants are being met. Then you have the strength, right? You've put your own oxygen mask on first. You're strong enough to then help figure out what they need and want, but we're sort of missing that first step. And so of course they can't, of course they can't have empathy for what the employees need because they're so burnt out themselves. They can't even go there. Then it starts to feel resentful. I'm always worrying about everybody else. Um, and so, yeah, you have to take care of HR first. And then I think it comes much more naturally after that because you have more spirit of generosity when you're fulfilled. Yeah, that it's uh, the whole notion, right? You can't pour from an empty cup and, you know, HR is kind of that cup, you know, if yeah. you want your organization to be able to serve your employees properly, you have to make sure that HR is also taken care of. It yeah. kind of seems kind of weird to sound like say like and selfish, but it's true. Like we have to take care of the people yeah. who are taking care of others. Yeah. Selfish is actually something that doesn't have to have a negative connotation. I think it's really, yeah, just like our mom, I mean, any parent, you know, in this, in this crisis, like how much are we encouraging them to make sure they're getting breaks, you know, because it's like, it's not selfish. Like everyone needs an hour alone in their room with a book and just try to chill out. So yeah, if an HR leader doesn't sit down and ask what they want, then they can't possibly think about what the employees or candidates want. But it's, yeah, it goes two ways, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we touched on the recruiting piece just now a little bit. And one thing that you've experienced in your life was learning Excel. And, you know, you shared that learning that skill, which is a more technical skill, was easier than learning something like social sensitivity or empathy. And technical skills can usually be learned much quicker than these people skills. So in your opinion, as a recruiter and just your experience with this, why do you think hiring managers keep emphasizing these technical skills over these more critical and difficult soft skills, quote unquote, soft skills? Yeah, I know. I still call them soft skills too, because we haven't found a good word for them. So no shame about it. Um, You know, it's interesting. I have my hiring managers. We have, I I have them define five technical skills we need for the hire and five core soft skills. It's part, to me, it's part of the hire. So we have to do it and it's the harder work, right? It's easy for them to say, okay, they need employee relations benefits, five years with ADP, blah, 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 right? Those five come fast. Then when we go to soft skills, they're like, I don't know. And it forces them to think about, well, what works in this organization? What's missing in this organization? What values are you trying to lead with? What philosophy do you want your HR department to lead with? And it's, those are harder for them to define, but it's such a fun exercise. So I don't mind the hard work. I mean, I think that it's probably harder uh, because it requires depth of thought and critical thinking and time and space, right? So that conversation might take an hour instead of five minutes. And we're, we so much value productivity and efficiency that sometimes conversations that require a little space are uncomfortable. It's like, I'm busy. I got five other meetings today. I got five other Zooms. I got to go. This is too hard. 
And so I always remind hiring managers, you got to slow down to speed up. So the start of the process is when we need the most amount of time. You've got to give me a full hour on this. You've got to, this is how it works. Then we can move it along once we have a candidate going. But yeah, those early conversations around required soft skills and what we need and, and what's missing here in terms of emotional intelligence, that's going to take us, you know, an extra 20 minutes and that's yeah. worth it. Yeah, that taking that extra time to really think about those, the human side of things again is going to go so far. I'm sure yeah. you've seen, um, you know, looking at job seekers, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen a number of job seekers either personally or just, you know, on LinkedIn or just in, in public become increasingly stressed and depressed as they've been struggling to find jobs what words of encouragement do you have for them and what can they do? I mean, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, like what are like the tips, but I mean, is there something that they can do other than the standard usual tips that um, you personally believe that they need to? Yeah. Do? So the first thing is acknowledging it. Like, I think we always jump to positivity without giving them the space just to acknowledge it. Whenever I'm on a zoom with a job seeker and I just make a minute as cheesy as it sounds, almost like a moment of silence for what they're experiencing. They really appreciate it. Like we don't have to just jump to like, hang in there, it'll get better. Sometimes we just need to say to them, like, this is really hard. <clears throat> We're in a collective trauma of a pandemic that happens once in a lifetime and you're out of work and it's hard. And that I find usually you can just see the weight off their shoulders. Like, again, like I was saying at the start, maybe I wasn't acknowledging it for a long time either. Once you make room to just admit it, it's helpful. Um, and, you know, lean on each other for support. If you need financial support from your family, you ask for it. This is not the time to have pride and to be um, ashamed, right? I think this all, you know, the PPP, the unemployment, the, again, family support, whatever it is, like, this is not the time to have an ego. I think it's really important just to embrace, like, everyone needs a little extra TLC right now in whatever form it is, financial, emotional, psychological, it's a challenging time. So I would say start there and then, and then ask around for advice, right? If you can afford to hire a, a coach like myself to help with your resume, your LinkedIn profile, et cetera, do so. If you can't, you know, talk to your career services from an alumni, talk to an old mentor, talk to an ex-colleague, just try to start asking for some help. And you'd be amazed how many people are willing to provide some guidance and advice and you know, and then take breaks from the search. Cause I know it can be a full-time job as you've experienced yourself. It's kind of healthy to just say, okay, Tuesday from two to five, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just yeah. go for a long walk and, you know, just take a break. Yeah. Well, I, I keep hearing the two things that come up constantly during this conversation is one, acknowledge the mess, acknowledge that, you know, the negativity, because those emotions are valid and those are okay to have. Those are things that we need to also deal with, right? We can't just bury them down as well as just taking care of ourselves and allowing ourselves to process those things, yeah. good or bad. So I love it. Uh, real quick, you know, as I was going through, you know, all of your work and I, I started coming up with these really small questions and I wanted to do a very quick lightning round with you just because I don't usually do them, but I just thought it would be fun. So oh, I love it. All right. Okay. So what do you prefer working at the beach or working in Italy? Mm, Italy. Okay. What is the best season in New York city? Summer. 
If you had to give one up, would it be your bright green highlighters or a double tall cappuccino? Double tall cappuccino. Oh, that is not what I expected. <laughs> I love my, my pens and my highlighters are very important to me. <laughs> what is the most ridiculous perk offered or seen that you, or that you've seen at an employer? Ridiculous one you said? Yeah. I don't know. See, I'm a big fan of the perks because I actually, there's a, such a creative side to me that I can get sucked into that stuff, even though we tease people about it. Like I was once at a client and they had like a crafts room with a sewing machine. And, you know, I'm sure someone could roll their eyes and be like, who's going to sit in here and sew a pillow. But like, I thought that's kind of fun if you needed a break. So yeah, I would say to me, they're not ridiculous if they're in the spirit of play. Cause I think yeah. it's very important. Beautiful. What is the most outrageous job description you've seen? I'm really getting sick of the ninja guru, superstar, rock star <laughs> ones. They, they keep coming up for me. And I'm going to keep exploring that because I think that's based in some kind of insecurity. I don't know why we're doing this. It's like, I don't know. Again, back to the value thing. Just being people is enough. Being HR is enough. You don't have to be a ninja or a guru. Yeah. It seems to me like an overcompensation that I don't get. No one else says that. No one says I'm an accounting ninja. They're just an accountant and they're proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would also like to point out too, there's uh there's some, there's some uh, inappropriate use of terms uh I'm, I'm i'm not thinking of the the appropriate term but those are not the right terms to be using because they are rooted in people's belief like other people's beliefs and faiths and uh cultures so oh exactly it, yeah, like yeah guru got, in got, particular is very yeah. exactly it's very loaded exactly right yeah so we got to get rid of this and back to your masculine feminine thing like a lot of them are based in masculine ideals right rock star isn't exactly a feminine image so totally yeah uh what is uh the funniest thing that you've seen on a resume or cover letter I once got an email, which I now consider cover letters, introductory notes. Everyone who I train knows this. That's basically today's cover letter where you send a body of an email and attach the resume. And in the body of the email, it said in caps, I am a highly gifted HR pro. And I know they were probably just trying to stand out, but it, it just struck me as quite arrogant to say, especially in caps. So I did coach her on that, that I didn't think that was the right approach to get someone's attention. And the most unique co-working space feature that you've seen? Hmm, good question. There's a great app I was using before this crisis called Croissant, which is where you can, I don't know if you've heard of this one, mm -mm. but it allow, It's. I think it's in California too. So you can rent, I know it's a very low monthly fee and then you could rent office space like for a few hours. So I was doing it on days when I had to source and you could go to different offices in New York. And there was one that just had really nice filters filtered water, which I thought was such a cool treat, like lemon and lime or orange. And, you know, New York is not always like California in the way of health. And um, I thought it was, it felt like a nice trip to LA in yeah. my brain. So I hope that comes back. 
That's so funny that you say that because my last place of employment, they had spa water at all of the offices. Like it was normal. It's such for a us. treat. Yeah, uh, I know. And it's so rare here because everyone's just drinking coffee and Diet Coke and trying yeah. to like stress through the day. <laughs> and I was like, oh, spa water. This is like my West Coast inner, inner vibe. That's so funny. Yeah, it's such yeah. a California thing. It is. <laughs> well, I'm before- such a New Yorker, but you know, I have a love for California. So anything that reminds me of it makes me happy. <laughs> beautiful uh so what is last uh last question what is the impact that you want to leave when you lead others Hmm. i want them to have some clarity some sort of epiphany about themselves that's going to help them be a better leader and i'm always delighted if that happens even a year after we've worked together it doesn't always happen immediately but sometimes i'll get an email from someone like you know, six months ago, I talked to you and I've had this breakthrough, this epiphany, this aha moment. And to me, that's the biggest gift I can give someone is just some glimmer of clarity, even if it comes down the road. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I want to leave you with one last word of praise from Natalie Cumberbatch, who said, Laura is more than just a recruiting professional. She is an astute business partner for the organizations, as well as the candidates that she works with. Laura's all about celebrating people and their wins and doing what's right and best. Conversely, she isn't afraid to voice call out what isn't right, even if the sentiment may be unpopular. She is an ex- excellent example of how one should lead and use their platform. So Laura, thank you again so much for coming on. What would you like the listeners who are listening right now do next? First of all, thank you, Chris, for all your research and kind words. This has been such a fun surprise today. I mean, all the listeners, if you're in people in HR, first of all, just thank yourself and maybe write it down in a notebook, like something you're proud of this week and something that you're just grateful for that you've done because you are worthy and you deserve it. And just take a moment to acknowledge that. And then make sure that you're following Chris and I on all the platforms. We're having so much fun now on Clubhouse, on Instagram, on Twitter, and just join in the conversation. We keep learning from each other every day. Absolutely. Well, again, Laura, thank you so much. This has been a blast. A great way to start my week. Um, and I hope you have a great week. I'll see you on Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, see you soon. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. My greatest appreciation of Laura is her dedication and care for others' well-being. My favorite part of this conversation was when she mentioned that we are all human beings in the process, truly spoken like a people-first leader. If you like this episode, click subscribe and hit that share button to send it to someone who needs to hear Laura's dedication to our fellow HR colleagues. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.